Hey, good morning, church. It is awesome to see all of you here this morning. Thank you so much for being here. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors, and it's my privilege every week to open scripture and look and see how we will discover Jesus on every page of our Bibles. So there was a uh, son and, and daughter. They were brother and sister. They couldn't get along. Johnny and Jenny, they were fighting all the time. Jenny would pick on Johnny. Johnny would punch Jenny. Finally, their mom had had enough. And they sent Johnny to meet with the pastor. <laughs> so Johnny sits down in the pastor's office, and the pastor looks at Johnny and says, Johnny, where is God? Johnny didn't know what to do with that question. The pastor asked him again, Johnny, where's God? Johnny's starting to get a little nervous. The pastor asked Johnny again, Johnny, where is God? And Johnny jumped up, ran out of the office, ran back home, up to his room, and into the closet where he hid. And Jenny came and said, Johnny, what's the matter? He said, they've lost God, and they're blaming us. <laughs> Listen, we know exactly where God is. God is on his throne, and he controls everything that comes to pass. Our God reigns, and our God will do all that he pleases. And my heart and your heart desperately needs to believe that. I was driving back from Orlando this week. I was on I-4. That's a dangerous road. I was on I-4, and all of a sudden, traffic comes to almost a complete stop, and I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, I just start seeing wreckage. On the left-hand side of the road, there's wrecked cars. On the right-hand side of the road, there's wrecked cars. There's new cars, little cars, big cars, expensive cars, inexpensive cars. There's cars everywhere. And I put my hands on the wheel, and I'm holding on as tight as I can, and I start driving so safely. And that's how life feels, right? There are times in our life where it be, feels as if everything is coming out of control, everything's coming unglued, and we think, what am I going to do? And what my heart needs and what your heart needs is to know that our God will do all that he pleases. And our God pleases to save a people for his glory. And our God pleases to keep that people safe. Not safe from every danger. Not safe from every illness. Not safe from every hurt. Not safe from everything. But safe in relationship with him. So that we can be reasonably happy in this life. And supremely happy with him in the life to come. Our God takes pleasure in holding you close and keeping you in the safest place in all the universe, which is in relationship with him. And so my prayer for me and my prayer for you this morning is that we would get to know this God 
This God who does whatever he pleases, who's not undone by our failures, who's not undone by our sins, who's not undone by our disappointments, who's not undone by our diseases, who's not undone by anything, but is accomplishing perfectly and completely his plan for you and for me and for his world, his good world. Our God will do what all that he pleases. Exodus chapter 5 is where we're going to pick up. I didn't turn your attention to that. And this is where we were at the end of last week's message. Verse 22. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? And Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And the key to understanding Moses' prayer is, is in verse 22. Then Moses returned to the Lord. And we saw last week that the word returned is the word for repent. And there are two very different places of prayer. One place of prayer is the prayer that says, God, do whatever I please. And the other place of prayer is the prayer that says, God, do whatever you please. And the way for you and the way for me to move from a place of prayer that says, God, do whatever I please, to a place of prayer that says, do whatever you please. When we learn to pray as Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The way to move from the place of prayer that says, give me, give me, give me, to bring glory to your name. The way to get from there to here is repentance. A change in thinking, a reorientation of our lives where we begin to think of ourselves and we begin to think of God in ways that are true to Scripture, true to who God really is and true to who we really are. Have you had a moment of honest prayer before God recently? Have you gone... Has the Holy Spirit brought you to a place of repentance recently? Something that I've been repenting of recently is my tendency to trust in my own strength, to trust in my own gifts and abilities, to try and pull life and ministry off. And when I begin to trust in my own strength, when I begin to trust in my own gifts and abilities for life and ministry, it is white knuckle, 10 and 2, drive the speed limit, look out all around because there are so many dangers. But when God the Holy Spirit is willing to give me repentance, to help me see who God is and to help me see who I am, and enables me to pray an honest prayer to God and say, God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How about you? 
Where is the Spirit bringing you to a place of repentance? God brings Moses to a place of honest repentance, and he answers his prayer. And I want you to be amazed. I want you to be blown away by the answer to prayer that God provides to Moses and to you this morning in this passage. It is amazing. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do. You will see what I will do. Not what you can do, but what I will do. To Pharaoh, for under compulsion, he will let them go. And under compulsion, he will drive them out of his land. The story of the Bible is the story of what God will do. Religion is the story of what I can do, and it's not very much. Religion is the story of getting you to do, and it's not very much. But the gospel, the Bible, is the story of what God will do. When we move from a place of what I want to what God will do, when we say, God, you will do all that you please, then God, in his grace, says, what, listen to what I will do. And 20 times, in 14 verses, God says, I. 20 times. In 13 verses, I will, I have, I can. The Bible is the story, the gospel is the story of what God will do. Verse 2, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, Yahweh. I did not make myself known to them. God says, I am God Almighty. I am all-powerful, which is another way of saying I do whatever I please. And the big theological word is omnipotence. God says, I am all-powerful. I am God Almighty. I sit on my throne. I do whatever I please. And it brings me pleasure to reveal who I am, to make myself known as Yahweh, as the personal God that you can relate to and know. And I will not sacrifice my power in order to be personal. And I will not allow my power personal, close, intimate love for you to cover up or ignore my glory. How can that be held together? How do we hold together a God who reveals himself in scripture as all-powerful and intimately, closely, lovingly, graciously, tenderly close? How do you hold it together? 
How can he be all-powerful and all-personal at the same time? And the answer that the Bible eventually comes to is Jesus. That Jesus Christ in his glory and Jesus Christ in his humility binds together God's all-powerfulness and his close, tender personalness. And if you don't understand Jesus, then you can't understand how the God of the Bible works. Because he always works toward us through Jesus. And so is God really like Jesus? Yes. <laughs> he is all-powerful. And he is all-personal. Powerful and personal. I have appeared. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. El Shaddai. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Yahweh. The great I am. Person. Powerful. Person. Close. One. Jesus. You with me? Verse 4. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. God not only reveals himself as a person in whom our hearts find rest, he reveals himself as a place, a place that we're designed to live in forever. Jesus is the person that we're joined to by faith, and Jesus is the place, the land, the place of promise, the place of rest, the place where we can hang out with God forever. Jesus is the place that our hearts are designed to rest in. Jesus is the one in whom we're called to abide forever. He's our place. He's our promised land. How do we get into it? How do we join Jesus in this place of rest? God says he does it through covenant. Through covenant. I have made my covenant to give you the land, a place. And our brains and our experiences don't understand covenant, but Moses understood covenant and Israel understood covenant. And when God, in this verse 4, talks of the covenant of the land, Moses and everyone who heard what Moses says in this passage immediately went in their Bible, in their minds, to Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis 15, God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And a covenant is a solemn agreement between two parties secured with consequences and blessings. You and I make covenants. I made a covenant. On, a, on Valentine's Day, I'm so thankful for my wife. I made a covenant with my wife. There was a day, May of 1996, <laughs> May 4th. I know, I know. Come on, give me a little credit. May 4th, 1996. 1996. And I stood and I said, I, Dave, do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband. And I said, here is a 
Testament. Here is a picture of the covenant I make to you. And I gave her a ring that she placed on her finger as a reminder of how solemn, how, how much I took the covenant I made with her seriously. And here's what's pictured in my giving her that ring. If it was an Old Testament covenant, what would be pictured in that ring that I gave her was, here is a gold ring. That gold ring was fashioned by taking hard metal and melting it down and then forming it into a ring that you could wear on your finger. And if it was a biblical covenant, if it was a biblical covenant, what I would be saying to Sue Ellen is, if I ever break my, if I ever break my vow, if I ever go back on my promise, then let what happened to that gold happen to me. Let me be melted down. Let me become nothing if I do not keep my covenant. Now, that raises the stakes. And God raises the stakes when he makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. He says in Genesis 15, verse 12, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day, God, uh, the Lord, made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. God had told Abram, Go and get an animal and cut it in two. Cut it in two and let there be a space between the pieces. And Abram thinks... That what God is saying to him is, here's how you know that the covenant will be good. Here's how you know that my commitment is strong. You, Abram, are going to walk between the pieces so that you know that if you don't keep your end of the bargain, I will do to you what has been done to this animal. But when it comes time for the covenant to be sealed, God walks between the pieces. And God says, if I do not keep my promise, if I do not bring you back to this land, if I am not faithful to my promises, then let this happen to me. And God binds himself to the covenant with his own life. And in order for it to be fully ratified, God had to do exactly what he promised he would do. He had to be cut. He had to be torn. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, 
went to the cross and God went under his own knife for you and for me. How do I know that the promise of the covenant of a place where sinful Dave and a holy God can meet together, can be sure and certain forever because God has taken upon himself the responsibility of accomplishing the covenant. Jesus Christ was crushed for me in my place. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he went under the knife. He was cut in two for you and for me and he shed his blood so that I could have both a person and a place. And it pleased God. It rejoiced God to accomplish for me and for you what we couldn't accomplish for ourselves. He did it and not we ourselves. Gen Exodus 6 verse 5. Furthermore, there's more. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. God hears the groans of his people. And the word groaning in Hebrew is the word for someone who's breathing out the last breaths of death. Israel is groaning like dying men and dying women in prayer to God. When we talk about the fall, when we talk about sin, when we talk about brokenness, when we talk about being lost, these are more than just theological categories. They are, they are heard before the throne of grace by God in the groans of dying men and women. And I personally find it more and more difficult to cheer for my team and to care about my portfolio when I know that there are groans of dying men being lifted before the throne of grace all the time. And God has chosen his church, the church of Jesus, to be the people who will take the message of salvation to those dying people. And I find it so much more difficult today to care about other things when I know that my God, who calls me into relationship with himself, cares about the lost and the dying and the broken, that it's not just a theological definition, it is written in ruined lives all around me and I have the solution and you have the solution in the person and work of Jesus I will deliver verse 6 say therefore to the sons of Israel I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians I will deliver you from their bondage I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. God says, I will stretch out my arm 
Pharaoh, in all of the literature of the kings of Egypt, and in all the hieroglyphics of the kings of Egypt, Pharaoh is seen with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. You see it in in all of the hieroglyphics. And when God speaks to Moses and he says, I will stretch out my hand. He says, I, your God, am more powerful than the most powerful person in the world. The most powerful person you can imagine is Pharaoh. Look at his outstretched arm. But then consider mine, that I will give all of myself for your salvation. I will give all of me for all of you. And God says, I will redeem you. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will stretch out my hand and I will bring my enslaved people out. I will deliver my groaning, dying people. I will save them. And what God does to Israel in the Exodus is a picture of the redemption that is available to you today and to all who are watching online today and who are in your neighborhoods and in your marketplaces and in your schools and on your teams. This redemption is available to them. And it's our joy, our privilege to move into their lives with this message of salvation, that God has done it. What's pictured in Israel leaving Egypt is what's pictured in God saving us from our sin. In Psalm 130, God says, I will redeem Israel, my son, from their sin. Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. It's sin that we're redeemed from. How are we redeemed? How are we saved? How are we set free? How are we delivered? Through the self-sacrifice of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. The Son of Man Mark 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Where does this redemption come from? It comes from the self-sacrifice of Jesus in your place. Jesus Christ is the outstretched arm of God to save sinners. Jesus Christ is the outstretched arms grace. Christ on a cross paying the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve. He was stretched out so that you could be brought in. He was given as a ransom the payment made in full so that you could be redeemed, purchased by God, for God, forever. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing in the world right now. Is he's welcoming sinners back into grace. Back into forever relationship with him. He says in Exodus, back to Exodus 6, verse 7. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. 
And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. And then I will take you to myself. We've been saved from something. We've been saved from death and sin and hell and judgment. We've been saved from the wrath of God. We've been saved for something. We've been saved for God himself that we might know him and follow him. We've been saved from sin. We've been saved for eternal life. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? Eternal life is to be saved from sin. Eternal life is to be saved for God. And our part is to believe and rest upon the saving work of God in Christ alone as he's offered to us in the gospel. Have you believed? Have you put your trust in Christ alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? He offers you eternal life. Saved from sin, saved for life with God, now and forever. Won't you admit how much you need him? Won't you let your groaning words come before God Almighty? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Won't you believe, Jesus, you've done it all. You've stretched out your hands for me. Won't you commit, Jesus, come into my life. Be my savior. Be my Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. If you never have, won't you? If you never have, watching online, won't today be the day that you put your trust in Christ alone for salvation? And if you have believed, if you have believed in Christ, then go on believing in him. Go on trusting in him. Go on calling out to him. He, he invites you to stay a while. It's not a once and for all, once exchange and then you go on with your life. No, it's an it's a ongoing life with God now. So go on with him. Believing, knowing, receiving, resting in Christ alone. Verse 8, and I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. How do we know this is all going to happen? How do we know that this is true? Because God has put himself on the line. He says, I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. There is a hardness of heart. There is a difficulty. There is a doubting that exists in all of us. There is a tendency of the heart to not hear the music of the gospel. There is a tendency of my own heart to 
push God's grace away, to keep him at arm's length, to not believe it's too good to be true that you could love me, even me, the way you promise you do. There is a tendency in my heart to stiff arm God. And it's exactly what Israel does with the gospel that Moses preaches to them. But I want you to know that it doesn't stop God from saving them. It doesn't stop God from delivering them. It doesn't make God leave them in bondage in Egypt. If you are here this morning and you're doubting God's love for you, if you're here this morning and you're wondering, can it be true? Doubt your doubts. Your doubts of God's love, your doubts of God's grace, your doubts of God's power to do what he pleases will not undo his love for you. Doubt your doubts. Run to God. God moves immediately after Moses preaches the gospel to the people. And because of their doubt, because of their, because of their desperate condition, they don't hear the music of the gospel. But it doesn't stop God for a second from saving them. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. And at the very moment when the people of Israel could do nothing, they could do nothing to lift themselves out of slavery. They could do nothing to lift themselves out of bondage. At that very moment, God sends Moses and Aaron back to Pharaoh to begin what will finally end in their deliverance. Jesus Christ, when you couldn't save yourself, when you wouldn't save yourself, when you did not have the power, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. While we were still helpless at just the right time. Oh, don't you see? The gospel is good news, not for people who have it all together. The gospel is good news for the doubting and the defeated and the broken and the busted. The gospel is good news for people whose brand new car is spread in pieces on the side of I-4. And it's not talking about someone out there. It's talking about me. It's talking about you in here. And God wants us to hear the music of the gospel. He wants us to hear the wonder of his saving Grace. Verse 13. Verse 12. Moses spoke, therefore, to the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me, for I am unskilled in speech. The sons of Israel didn't listen to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. Are we really that way? I mean, God has just delivered a message of hope and glory and salvation to Moses. And Moses says, I just I don't think I can do it. Are we really that chicken? Yes, we really are. We are all just like Moses. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't get a hold of our hearts, 
then we'll stay that way. I have no hope of any sermon that I ever preach getting a hold of your heart and leading you into a new way unless God in his grace chooses to use it through the Holy Spirit to penetrate your hard heart, your doubting heart, your defeated life and say, this is true for you. Is he saying it? Is he doing it? Are you starting to feel something of the grace of God grabbing your heart? If the answer is yes, then go with that. And if the answer is no, not yet, then pray. Holy Spirit, help me hear the music of the gospel and know I'm praying. I'm praying for you that the grace of God would make, be made real to your heart through the Holy Spirit. And you are just like Moses. And so am I. And so were the disciples. We talk a lot here about making disciples. We talk a lot about the Great Commission that God said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Do you know who heard that the first time? The, 12, the, the apostles went to the mountain which the Lord had appointed. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They're just like Moses, and they're just like you, they're just like me. Oh, we desperately need the grace of the Holy Spirit for the gospel to get into our hearts. Doubt your doubts. Verse 14, or verse, verse 13, then God finally says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And just as Jesus would do with his disciples, at the moment of weakness, at the moment of doubt, Jesus gives his disciples their commission, and we receive a commission from Jesus, not when we have our lives all together, but when we need him, when we're weak, we think that Moses is Charlton Heston marching into Pharaoh. And what we get instead in the real story of the Bible is Rodney Dangerfield. We get someone who can't take yes for an answer, who makes excuse after excuse after excuse, who's just like us. God says, I'm going to give you a charge, Moses. Doubting, hesitant, fearful, chicken-hearted Moses is going to be put in charge. Now, in verse 14 through 27, we don't have time for me to read it. We barely have time to finish the, the message. But in 14 through 27, Jesus, or Moses gives a genealogy of himself. He tells his life story in a family tree. Why here and why now? It's because this is the time and this is the place when Moses comes to life. 
I believe Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts his genealogy here in this place in the book of Exodus because Moses believes it wasn't when he was born that he came to life. It was when he was born again in the presence of God who called him and gave him a commission that he would follow God with all his heart. And that's why he says, this is the same Moses, in verse 27, who went and told Pharaoh and who led the people out of Egypt. This is when Moses comes to life, and I'm praying that you'll come to life. And here's how we can do it. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 again, and I want you to listen to it. If it's helpful, close your eyes. If it's not helpful to close your eyes, then don't do that. But just listen, and I want you to listen for the Holy Spirit to put on your heart one promise one thing that God would reveal, this is for you. And I want you to write it down in your study. Now, listen to this. The Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And what I want you to do with that verse, that promise, that passage from those verses of God speaking to Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to take that phrase, that truth, and I want you to be the messenger, not the message. I want you to be the messenger this week of that truth. I want you to be the messenger of that truth, not the message. Let me tell you the difference. What stands out to me as I studied this passage was I was so encouraged to pray but I haven't figured it all out how to pray yet. I'm still learning how to pray. Now, if I am the message and not the messenger, 
then I better wait to say anything about prayer until I have a journal full of answered prayers in order to tell everyone of prayer and how I accomplished it. But if I'm the messenger, then I can say, oh, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me that God would make himself real in my life so that I would talk to him as naturally as I would talk to a friend? If you ask my kids what made a difference in their life, it was not. It was not that their dad prayed for them. They would say what made a difference in their life was that their dad asked them to pray for him. You see the difference between being the message and being the messenger? If you're the message, you better keep your life together. But if you're the messenger, then you can fall apart. And the grace and glory of God can hold you and the truth of the gospel together to share it with others. So take the truth that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you this morning and go as a messenger, not the message, a messenger to yourself because no one talks to you more than you talk to you. And press that truth into your life this week. What is it for you? What is that message to you? Press it in. Tell it to yourself. Tell it to yourself every morning. Tell it to yourself throughout the day. Tell it to yourself before you go to bed at night. Press it in. Tell it to one another. People are waiting for you to be a person who takes a cup of cool water to other Christians to remind them that the God, the Holy Spirit, is at work in me and I have something to share with you. You are needed in the body of Christ to be a messenger of grace. And the world, the world is waiting for the church to take the message, Jesus, that God will do what he pleases, and what he pleases is to save a people for himself. He's waiting for us to take the message as messengers, not as the message, as messengers of grace to a world dying, groaning, waiting for someone to tell them the good news. Won't you?